Welcome. My name is Eddie Chavez Calderon. I am the campaign director of Uri Litzetic. So happy to be here with all of you. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. We have an amazing speaker with us today on such a great, important topic, climate justice. So I want to go ahead and introduce today's speaker, Rabbi Akiva Gersh, who has been working in the field of Jewish and Israeli education for over 20 years. Originally from New York, he moved to Israel in 2004 and from 2007 to 2020 has taught Jewish history and modern, modern Israel at the Alexander Must High School in Israel. He has since taken his Israel education work online through his businesses in Israel and providing courses and classes and virtual tours of Israel for schools, synagogues, and Jewish institutions throughout the U.S., Rabbi Akiva also teaches extensively about the connection between Judaism, social justice, animal welfare, and food ethics. Rabbi Akiva holds a BA in Religious Studies from the Brown University and MA in Jewish Education from Yeshiva University. He and his wife Tamar live in the Pardes Hanan with their four children. It gives me great, great pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Rabbi Akiva. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Eddie. Thank you for that introduction and great to be here. So I really appreciate everyone taking the time to tune in and to listen and um, to connect to the topic at hand. It's such an important topic. It's been such an uh, important topic for many, many years, for many, many decades. I think we can even make the argument for many, many centuries and thousands of years, but especially in our day and age, this topic of Judaism and uh, environmental justice I mean, there's many other words that we can connect to those first two statements. Today, we're connecting consumerism to it, uh, which is such an important topic in our world today because we know that we are literally, I don't want to use the word drowning, but we are steeped very deeply in consumerism and um, it's had a major impact on every sphere of life, on every layer and level of existence. So there's a lot to say about this topic. Anytime you put the word Judaism in a, in a title, you know that there's a billion things to say, and we can be here for hundreds and hundreds of hours, um, but we're not going to be here for hundreds and hundreds of hours. We're going to be here for about 45 minutes, and so I want to jump right in it and really start sharing and know that there are so many teachings and so many sources out there that connect to the topic at hand. Uh, Jewish sources, ancient and modern sources. And I picked a handful of sources to share with you today to help us create this, this learning, this discussion, uh, to guide it, to frame it. Um, but please know that there's so much more out there. And I am always uh, uh, open to, to, uh, to discussing this more. And if you want to get in touch with me afterwards, personally, through email, I'm sure you can find my email through or the Tzedek. And, uh, you know, I'll even put it in, in the chat for those uh, of you who are here in the chat. Um, but you can easily find me on social media. I am easily found on social media. And you could um, just get in touch with me and we can continue that discussion and that learning. So right now what I'm going to do, I'm going to share my screen because I put together a little bit of a, of a uh, um, what we used to call PowerPoint. Now we call it a slideshow. Okay. But um, I'm going to start this right now. Let me just make sure you guys can all see that. Those of you who are, yeah? Okay, good. All right, let's get started. Uh, Judaism, environmental justice, and our consumer choices uh, with me. All right, I, I, I love this picture. And obviously, this picture is also very, very hard for me. But it really sums up so much of what we're talking about right now. And so much of the world that we're living in right now. We are overwhelmed. We are inundated. We are swamped with consumer products of all kinds. Food, furniture, 
clothing, gadgets, electronics. I mean, you name it. We are surrounded by mountains and mountains of stuff, of consumer products. I really you know, want to take a look at the environmental impact of our consumer patterns today. Right now, again, this is a huge topic. This could be a college course. It could be you know, five books this thick. You know, but um, we'll talk about what we have time to talk about. But just to really consider you know, what's happening today in our world, the human impact on the environment, and, and, and how we contribute, right? How our lifestyles are directly contributing to it. I'll, I'll give a very kind of quick bio that, that relates very much to, to what we're talking about, just to understand how I connect to this and where I came from. I grew up in suburban New York, outside of New York City, in the suburban bubble, didn't think too much or too deeply about anything, um, and really just kind of, you know, what it, with all due love and, and, and hopefully with no judgment, but just, you know, kind of bought into the into the system, into the lifestyle that everyone around me was uh, trying to sell me from my parents, who I love so much, uh, to my school, to my teachers, to my community, right? And that was do really good in school so you can get a really good job. So you can get, uh, first of all, do good, really, really good in school to get into a really good college. So you can get a really good job. So you can make lots of money and you can buy lots of stuff and be really happy. Right. That was kind of like the, the path that, that we all were being pushed down. It. And, and, I was, I, and I wanted to go down that path right? uh, for many, many years. I would even say through, through the end of high school. And then when I got to college, I started to realize a lot of things I never realized about the world. In my first year in college, I had many, many epiphanies, many, many uh, realizations uh, about the world and about the way that we're living. And long story short, after, the first, after that first year in college, I realized very deeply um, that the way we are living today as humans is absolutely destroying the world, right? Absolutely uh, bringing destruction and bringing suffering to, to, to the globe, to the planet, to the environment, to the animals, to ecosystems, right? So many of the things that we're doing, so many of the things that seem so simple and, and innocent, you know, like taking you know, a certain product and washing my clothes with it and putting it into the, you know, washing machine and, 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 and then it goes down a pipe that, and, and I don't think about it anymore. And I don't know where it goes and I don't know what its impact is, right? To foods that I might be eating, right? Where do they come from? How are they grown? How far do they have to be transported? What, what was needed to get that food to me in front of me? How many people were affected and how were they affected? How many ecosystems were affected? How much pollution was added to the environment, right? And so on. We can do that with like literally millions of products. Uh, in our lives. And so that was the deep realization that I came out of my first year in college with. And I realized, wow, I, that's overwhelming. Um, I want to try to do something about that. And I, and I became an environmental studies major in college to learn more about that and to kind of get training to, to do something, to do something, to do my part, my little piece, to contribute hopefully something to the repair of the world. Right. So that's kind of where I'm coming from this. That was, a, that was actually 25 years ago. Wow. That I graduated college. My 25th uh, reunion is like in a couple of weeks. Um, but that was really the, the start of, of, of a new kind of life for me and realizing, you know, we're not perfect. We can't do everything. We're living in a world that almost makes it impossible to really, really be a good person because almost everything we do every single day, I bought something, I used something, I ate something, I did something that brought some level of negative impact to the world. Now we can drive ourselves crazy, God forbid, thinking about it on the level of the minutia. Or, and, and, and I believe that this is what we should do. Sometimes we do drive ourselves crazy. Okay, that's fine. As long as it's only sometimes. 
But what we should really be doing, I believe, is motivating ourselves to do the best we can, know that we're living in a world, in a, in a time, in a generation of such incredible challenges and struggles, but to do the best we can, to be on the side of good, to be inspired, to inspire, and, and, and try every single day, what can I do? Do I want to buy that thing or should I not buy that thing? What do I want to eat? Why do I want to eat that? What's it going to do if I buy that piece of food, right? That product, that whatever it might be, right? So we have so many opportunities every single day through the choices that we make as consumers because we are now living in a world of being mega consumers, right? And we know that our consumer choices directly impact not just our local environment, the way things used to be, the entire world the entire globe, the entire planet. Let's just remind ourselves, I know you guys are very you know, aware and educated about uh, many of the impacts on the environment uh, today from our, uh, our human choices, but let's just remind ourselves, right? Even visually, right? We're living in a world of like mega stores, mega consumerism. We're surrounded by it. I remember when I was 18 years old and I drove across country for the first time I'm from New York. We drove to the West Coast for the first time with a couple of my friends. I was so excited for this incredible new journey to see new parts of America that I'd never seen before. And I did. And it was great. But one of the things that really shocked me is that as I passed through towns throughout the country, they all looked the same. They all had the same main street and the main highway they went through with all the same stores and all the same strip malls right, and all the same names. And I was really blown away. That was the, kind of the first time I, I really became aware of that, how we do live in this kind of cookie cutter world where everything is copy pasted all over. And since then, I've crisscrossed across America many, many times. And you see it only more. Again, that was like 30 years ago. And you see that idea of just growing and growing. Right. So, of course, we know, you know, not trying to like target out any specific you know, companies here, but I happen to find a picture of Target, right? Giant megastore. Right. And you go in. I mean, you know, that feeling you walk and you can feel it just from this picture. Oh, my God. I'm talking about like a billion products. Which ones am I going to buy? Right. We are just surrounded. We live in this consumeristic society that literally surrounds us with products all the time. I go in just to buy toothpaste and there's a billion other things I can buy. And, and, and what's really mind boggling is that this is just one of their hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of stores, that there's thousands of stores that look just like this, right? With shelves packed with stuff. And, and so someone might say, so what's the big deal, right? Everything there has a purpose. I need plates, I need toothpaste, I need pet food, I need all this stuff. But when we realize, which we'll get to in a moment, the environmental impact of all of these things, that's when it becomes an issue. And that's when it becomes important that we think about this and we, and we, and we talk about this and we act on it. All right, so just a couple more images just to get our brains, you know, rolling, all right? These mega stores that are literally all over America and even the world, right? And people go and they're just, you know, there's, oh, there's like a happy, there's a happy chemical that just gets, you know, like, uh, you know, brought out into the body when people walk in, oh, stuff, you know, look at all the stuff I can get. I can fill up a, a giant cart with lots of stuff and big boxes and, and really cheap. And that br literally brings joy to the modern day human being. Right? It's, it's on the level, we can even say, I think, uh, neurologically, or at least in terms of these chemicals that come out of the brain, like on, on the level of a dictionary. Okay? I mean, massive malls, massive malls. Right? And what is it all about? You go and you buy stuff. You go in and you consume. Right? Again, shells. I mean, I wonder if anyone's ever tried to calculate you know, how many miles or kilometers of shells 
are out there with consumer goods on it. I mean, forget about it. It'd be like to the edge of the universe, right? Um, food, all kinds of other products like we're talking about, right? Just giving us this visual. I go shopping for school supplies. My kids need a notebook. So I need to go to the store and get a notebook, right? A couple pens, a few more pencils, a new pencil case, whatever it might be, some markers, right? And I only bought this much stuff, but times I buy the millions of other people are doing the same thing, right? It's a major, major impact, all right? And this is the impact. And I know many of you guys know what's the, what this impact is. I mean, you know, everything on all of these shows that we just showed comes from somewhere. It's made somewhere. You need resources to make this stuff, whether it's the plastic wrapper around it, whether it's the aluminum foil or the foil, the metal foil in, inside the bag that keeps it nice and fresh, right? Has anyone ever tried to make their own, like, uh, you know, rice milk or almond milk at home, right? And then, like, the first time you make it, you're like, oh, I'm used to like my, my, my almond milk or rice milk like stays seven days fresh in the fridge. No, you make it yourself and put it into some random bottle. It lasts like for two days, maybe, because the thing that you buy at the store has that nice foil inside that helps to keep it fresh. Right. Where does that come from? That comes from places like this, from mines, from excavations, from digging out the earth. Right? Every single product we use from our phones, of course, to our laptops, of course, to this shirt, to these, to these headphones I'm wearing, to this kippah I'm wearing, everything comes from somewhere. Right? And our modern day world has done a, a fantastic job of keeping that awareness really far away from the average consumer. Right? That you don't think about this stuff when you're in the store. You're just feeling the, the high of, oh, I can buy stuff, right? And my kids tell me this. They love school supply shopping. I loved school supply shopping when I was a kid. I used to like lay everything out on the, on the floor of my room and organize it really nicely. And I see my kids doing the same thing. There's something fun about it. I get it. I get why this is fun and exciting. But what we don't get as a people, as, as a human society, is the absolute destruction that this has caused, is causing, and is continuing to cause to our world, right? Everything comes from a factory. Everything comes from a factory. When screens were just kind of becoming a part of our world and our kids' lives, my wife and I, we had very strict rules. It was like, you know, 30 minutes a day, and that was it. And only a few times a week. Actually, it wasn't even a day. It was a few times a, a week, 30 minutes each time. And one of those times had to be me sitting with them and showing them certain educational videos. And I got really into for like a long time showing them videos of how things are made and where things are made. Because I wanted them to understand that the everyday things that we use from peanut butter, literally from peanut butter to, you know, their toys, to toothpaste, to toothbrushes, they all come from factories. Everything comes from a factory. Now, we might not see many factories in our day-to-day -day life, but no, there are millions of them out there and they're pumping out all these products. And, and as they do, they're also pumping out into the world tons and tons of pollution, right? Now, some of you who don't know me, you might say, oh, you know, Akiva's telling us to stop buying everything and go live in the woods and be like, uh, you know, like against uh, all consumerism in society. That's not what I'm saying, right? What I am saying, though, is that to the extent that we can be aware of these things, we can then make the best possible decisions we can make. We can make the most informed decisions in our lives. And as we'll see very soon, this is all informed by Jewish teachings. Okay, we'll get there very, very soon. Right, again, just some visuals, tons and tons of trash, right? Tons, mountains, mountains. I, I used to teach a lot of students from Florida and they would tell me that the highest mountain in Florida is actually a, is a, is a trash heap. 
right? Because it's such a flat state. The highest mountain is, they, they call it Mount Trashmore. Okay, and we know, and we have them everywhere. Landfills, trash, you know, uh, dumps, whatever it might be called. All this stuff, this stuff, the furniture, someone gets new furniture, nobody wants to pick it up, they throw it out, right? Bulk pickup day, right? The thing that broke that no one fixes anymore, right? There are throwaway society or disposable society. So many things that it just it doesn't pay literally to have it fixed. It's much cheaper to buy a new one. That's where we've gone to. And I know a lot of this is, is not new stuff for people, right? But just to build the context, right? How did we get to a place in the human story where it, it is less expensive to buy a new thing than to fix the old thing? That is absolutely wild. And that's where we're at, right? This disposable society. Right. And of course, it's affecting all realms of, of, of the world, of, of, of ecosystems, of, of life and living habitats. Right. The oceans are being pounded with with plastic and other kind of pollution. Right? And, and this really just summed it up for me. This, this I think it's the last picture. I'm sure. Yeah. This summed it up for me, like greatly. I mean, here's a cute little doll. It's such a cute little doll. You know, someone got it for their birthday, I'm sure. You know, I have to say, like, I've never told this to my kids, but like so often, like when 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 my kids were younger and they, they play with some kind of doll like whether it's made out of fabric or plastic or whatever i'm playing with them or i'm watching them play and 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 these thoughts in my mind are going like that's really cute but you know what it is it's just a bunch of plastic molded into a certain shape right with like chemical based paint you know to make eyes and lips and like some you know clothing thrown on it you know made by people probably in some kind of sweatshop environment getting like really really horrible wages and living in like you know horrible conditions and that's what this cute doll is and represents and and, and again and, and i share this picture because that so for me represents it's cute i like it it looks nice it, it looks innocent it's a doll what could be wrong with a doll well in our day and age everything right and again i'm not against people buying dolls i'm not like ripping all the dolls out of my kids hands you know but I, I do want to have that awareness and I want to, I, and I do want to have that sensitivity because hopefully it will inspire me to make certain decisions down the road that maybe, you know what, we'll stay away from another doll or another product or another package something. And we'll do something else instead. We'll buy something else instead that was made with more compassion and awareness and less destruction on, on humans and on animals and on the environment. Okay. So that's kind of like all like a, a long introduction to many sources I want to share with you now. Okay. And we'll see how much we get through. Again, this is an endless topic. I have a lot of sources. I imagine we're not going to get through all of them unless I go really quick and I'm from New York and I can do that. Okay. But I just hope that I don't speak too quickly for people. Okay. So here we go. All right. Let's start literally from the beginning. First chapter from the Torah, Genesis. Okay. And we get to verse 26. Uh, and at the end of the story of creation, everything's already been made and the humans are being made. The, the Torah says, and God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. They shall rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, the whole earth, and all the creeping things that creep on earth. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of background behind this verse. Okay, when I was in college, I told you I was an environmental studies major. And one course I took was environmental philosophy. Okay, and we had this big, thick textbook and we read all kinds of articles. And one article we read was by a guy named Lynn White, which was about the historical uh, roots of the modern day environmental destruction that we're facing. And he wrote this, I believe, in the 60s. All right. And basically, the, 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 the thesis of, 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 of the article 
combined with what my professor said and students were saying in class in our discussion around it was that the Bible is to blame for our modern day environmental crisis. Why? Because of this verse, literally this verse. Okay. And so I learned that I think when I was around 19 years old. Okay. And then a few years later, long story, you know, I didn't grow up connected Jewishly at all. Um, very, very disconnected Jewishly. And then in college, I started getting involved, like, were interested in more, more in spirituality. That led to a whole spiritual journey in search. I thought Judaism was something I would never want to check out. My journey after three years brought me full circle to Judaism, but in a whole new way, actually inspired by the environmental teachings that I found in Judaism, some of, some of which I'm going to share today. All right. But when I started to become more observant, religious, whatever you want to call it, I was in Jerusalem, actually, in Israel, my first trip ever. And I said, hey, you know, I want to start learning the Torah. And so I went into like my, the nearest Judaica shop and I, I, and I bought a Torah, five books of Moses in Hebrew and in English. I, I couldn't read uh, Hebrew back then. Uh, so I was learning it in English and I get to this verse and it just so happened to be right after Simchat Torah. So we're learning the Torah portion of Genesis. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. And I get to this verse. I'm like, oh my God, I remember this verse. I remember this verse from, from college. Oh, this is the verse. This is, you know, down with the Bible verse. You know, like this is the reason why humans think that they can do anything they want because of what it says, God said to humans, right? Or at least in the creation of humans, they shall rule the fish of the sea, right? The birds of the sky, the cattle, the whole earth, and all the creeping things that creep on it. The chivshuha, right? The chibosh, it's like conquer, right? And I was like, wow, I remember learning that. And I know this is not the main topic right now, but I'll just say really, really quickly that then I went to verse 27, chapter one, verse 27 of Genesis. And I saw that's the verse, which is another thing I am involved with uh, greatly Judaism and veganism, not the topic at hand right now, but another very, very important topic. The next verse tells humans, these first humans that are being created, you can't eat animals. The diet I'm giving you, God said, is completely plant-based, completely vegan, right? No animals allowed, right? And I'm like, wait a minute. Did that professor or that writer of that article know that the very next verse in the Torah, after it said, you shall rule the world and all the beings in it, actually made limitations, great limitations, huge limitations on what humans can do in the world, so much so that they couldn't use animals for food. Nobody talked about that in the class. Nobody talked about that in the discussion. And nobody talked about that in the article. And I started to realize, wait a minute, there's, there's a lot in the Torah, right? The Torah, you have to like, you can't just take one verse and pluck it out of its entire context, historical, spiritual context, and think you, you're going to understand something. You need to learn it. You need to read it. You need to understand it. You need to spend time with it. And when you do, you will see, wow, there is a great ethic in general in the Torah, and specifically, there is a great environmental ethic in the Torah. Right? And we're going to start to see this come together right now. Just a few verses later, in chapter 2, verse 15, right? humans have been made, and they get put in the God Eden. And what happens, the Torah says... God settled the human in the Garden of Eden, le'ovda u'leshomra, le'ovda u'leshomra, beautiful words, right? So specifically chosen. Now you see in, in, in English, you see them translated in all different kinds of ways, to till and to tent, you know, to work and to da-da-da. But really, if you look at the very specific uh, words that are used here, right, and the, and, 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 and the most common, or I would even say my eyes, the most proper translation, it's to serve and to protect. Le'ovdaz, to work. It's also used, avodat Hashem, means to serve God. The same word, avodah, la'avod, le'ovdah, to serve, right? Lishomrat, to protect from the shmor, 
right away, the humans are created and right away. They're put into Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. And right away, they're told, just so you know, you're here to serve and to protect. Yes, I've given you unbelievable strengths, abilities, and capabilities. But know that ideally, these strengths, abilities, and capabilities are meant to be used to serve the world and to protect the world. All right? That's what you're supposed to do. That is your mission. That is what you're here for. Not to conquer and destroy, to seek and destroy, to do whatever you want. No, 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 no. It's very, very clear from the beginning what God had in mind for humanity. I just uh, I found this beautiful quote from John, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who passed away a couple of years ago, right? And he says like this, talking about this exact verse, he says, humans have consistently been more mindful of the ability to subdue and rule, which comes from the verse 26 in chapter 1, then of the responsibility to serve and guard, which we just saw in chapter 15, chapter 2. Sorry, verse 15, chapter 2. An ancient Midrash sums this up in a way that deeply resonates with contemporary ecological awareness. So Rabbi Sachs is saying, we, we were told both things by the Torah, to subdue and to rule, and also to serve and to protect, right? It, it, they could seem like, you know, dichotomies. They can seem like opposites. But no, you know, in Judaism, we look at things or we like to look at things or we try to look at things or ideally we do look at things as a unified whole, right? And they're all connected. And the subdue and the rule, and I've seen this in many sources and, and, and I'll just kind of sum it up in my own words. We have the ability, we have the ability to use our abilities to be with these forceful seek and destroy kind of beings in this world or like we said before, we can choose to use those abilities to serve and to protect the way the Torah says we should, right? And, and, and Rabbi Sachs brings up this, that there's this midrash, this oral teaching that sums this up beautifully, and I brought it right over here. Some of you might know this. In the Jewish environmental world, it's, 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 it's one of the more well-known teachings, one of the first I discovered in my Jewish uh, journey. And it says like this, when the blessed one, when the blessed Holy One, God created the first human, he took him and led him around all the trees of the Garden of Eden and said to him, look at my works, how beautiful and praiseworthy they are. And all that I've created was for you that I created it. And at the end, a warning. So again, right up until then, it sounds like, oh yeah, you know, humans, pinnacle of creation. It's all for you. I made everything for you. You can do whatever you want with it. Have fun. Take that shopping cart and just run down the aisles of whatever megastore you love to go to. But no, the end of the teaching says, pay attention. Pay attention, be aware, be an aware human being that you do not corrupt and destroy my world. If you do corrupt it, there is no one to repair it. There's no one in other translations that says there's no one who will come after you to repair it. God is giving us an ecological warning from the beginning of the beginning, right? Pay attention, live in a, a, a life of awareness and realize that you do have the ability to destroy, but you also have the ability to choose not to destroy and to rather serve and protect. Do not corrupt the world. Do not destroy the world. But I'm warning you, if you do, sorry to say, there's no one else who's going to come to repair it. Now, I hear something also positive in that verse. Say so nobody else is going to come to repair it, but you could. You also have the ability, you also have the ability to repair what you broke. Right. So we do know, right, in our world today, I just have to like look out the window and I can see, yes, humans have destroyed a lot. We have messed up a lot. But Judaism teaches us all the time 
this goes back to a, a Hasidic teaching. It says, if you believe that you can destroy, believe that you can fix. Right? That teaching is so needed in our generation. Right? Because we can get overwhelmed. We can get be filled up despair and be depressed about what the state of the world and what we have done to the world. And, oh my God, we're never, never going to be able to fix it. No, 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 no. We can fix it. If we've destroyed, then that means... As, as we say in, in Hebrew, how much more so do we have the ability to fix and to, and to repair? Let's move on so we can get some uh, more verses and sources in here. Deuteronomy, right? and this is really the, the verse that's at, at the center of this whole class. In Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the five books of Moses, chapter 20, verse 19, it shares with us a mitzvah. It says that when the ancient Israelites were, were in wartime, they were told that when you besiege a city a long time, all right, in making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy the trees thereof by wielding an axe against them. You shall not destroy the trees. You're in war. You're in battle. You're fighting your enemy. And the Torah says, oh, by the way, just don't cut down those uh, fruit trees over there. Okay? It's like, what? We're like in war right now. Who thinks of anything? Right? You shall not destroy the trees thereof by wielding an axe against them, for you may eat of them. That's how we know that they're talking about fruit trees. But you shall not cut them down. Man is the tree of the field that it should be besieged of you. That's more of a question. That's like a poetic thing at the end that you can talk about for hours. You're not going to talk about it right now. All right. But that's a really uh, good Tubishvat uh, teaching. All right. But the main thing I want to highlight here is that this is where the mitzvah called Bal Tashchid comes from in Judaism. A mitzvah that the Gemara, the Talmud tells us, is from the Torah. Bal Tashchid means don't destroy. And we learn it from this verse. Right. And we learn it. I'm going to actually bring up a source uh, soon that shares this. So I won't say it right now. But basically it's saying that, that, you know, again, the context of it is like you're in war, you're fighting your enemy. And the Torah tells us, God tells us, don't cut down the trees while you're besieging the city of your enemy, which is kind of bizarre because, I mean, who has that kind of awareness in wartime? Wartime, your, your adrenaline is flowing, is on fire. You have one mission and one mission only to defeat your enemy at all costs. And now you're telling me, don't cut down a tree? A fruit tree? Really? Huh? What? And, and so we see the depth of the sensitivity of that awareness of the Torah, that Judaism, that Jewish teachings want us to have. All right, let's move on. All right. There's lots of beautiful quotes about this mitzvah of Batashit. Okay. One of them comes from a book called Sefer Achinuch, the book of education written in the 13th century by someone that we don't even know who wrote it. Okay. It's one of those rare books of Judaism that we don't know who actually authored it. Okay. And it says in this book from like 700 years ago, seven to 800 years ago, the root reason for this mitzvah, Baal is known for it is in order to train our souls to love what is good and beneficial and to cling to it. When's the last time, with all due respect to all the rabbis out there, Rabbi Shmuley definitely talks like this, but I'm not, I'm not sure about how many other rabbis talk like this. How many rabbis talk like that when they get up and give a sermon, right? The point of this mitzvah is to train our souls to love what is good and beneficial and to cling to it, right? That's the Torah. That's how we should be speaking. And as a result, this teaching goes on to say, good fortune cling, uh, will cling to us. And we will move away. We will move away from every evil thing and from every matter of destructiveness. This is the way of kindly people, of piety and the observant. They love peace and are happy at the good fortune of people and bring them near to the Torah. They will not destroy even a mustard seed. When's the last time you saw a mustard seed? You know how small a mustard seed is? I just put mustard seed, uh, mustard on my veggie burger uh, this afternoon in my lunch, 
And it was one of those like whole mustard seed mustards where you can see the seed. They're tiny, like this little, like tiny little seed. This teaching is telling us when we talk about Tashim, we even saying someone who takes this seriously won't even destroy a mustard seed, right? Because they know that there's value in everything, right? They will not even destroy a mustard seed in the world and they are distressed at every ruination and spoilage they see. And if they're able to do any rescuing, they will save anything from destruction with all their power. My friends, this is the only teaching we need to really understand how much Judaism talks about the importance of being aware, knowing the impact of our actions, and living lives and choosing lives that are not bringing destruction to the world. Why am I talking about all this stuff? Because the topic at hand is Judaism, environmental justice, and consumerism. And we already established at the beginning of this that consumerism, our consumerism, our consumeristic society is absolutely destroying the world behind every single product. I mean, look, I mean, here, I have my cell phone right here. It's great. I can connect to people. I can post cool things and hopefully things that inspire people. But I know at the same time, every single time I use it, I know that I'm supporting an industry that mines all kinds of rare earth uh, uh, metals that are absolutely destroying the world and, and human lives. And it's intense. What do I do with that? How do I deal with that? Right? And these are the struggles that we're dealing with today. But these ancient teachings of the Jewish tradition are giving us what I believe, water for our souls, encouraging us to do our very best, never give up. Yes, we can't do everything, especially in this crazy world that we live in today. But there's still so much that we can do. And let us be on the side of those right, who cling to goodness, right? those who are distressed at every ruination right, and are, are trying to rescue and doing everything that we can to minimize the destruction that we bring into the world. All right, let's move on. Another beautiful quote from Rabbi Sachs. All right. And he brings up, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name uh, right, but Vaclav Havel, who, said, who made a fundamental point, Rabbi Sachs says, in his book, The Art of the Impossible. He, beautiful quote. He says, I believe that we have little chance of averting an environmental catastrophe unless we recognize that we are not the masters of being, but only a part of being. Wow. Think about that for a long time. Okay. And come back to me and tell me what you think. But for now, we'll go on with the quote. That is why religious vision is so important, reminding us, uh, uh, reminding us that we are not owners of our resources. They belong not to us, but to the eternal and to eternity. I love that line. The resources in our world don't belong to us. They belong to the eternal and to eternity. Hence, we may not needlessly destroy. If that applies even in war, as we said before with uh, going through those uh, verses from the Torah, if that applies even in war, how much more so in times of peace? It says in the book of Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. We are its guardians on behalf of its creator for the sake of future generations. Again, that sums up the Jewish ethic of how we were meant to live our lives, right? And how we are supposed to make choices in our lives every single day, right? That will hopefully benefit the world build up the world, create a good world, a healthy world for all humans, all creatures, all ecosystems, and not the opposite. Right, going forward to a few more, I thought this was interesting to see. Uh, Genesis chapter 32, there's a story when Jacob is coming back from outside of Israel and he's bringing his family that he you know, had there, his wives and his children, and they're coming back to the land of Israel. And it says this little story you know, where he crosses this stream with all of his possessions, right? After taking them across the stream, it says he sent across all his possessions. Jacob was left alone and a figure wrestled with him until the break of dawn. It's a whole story of him wrestling with the angel. And that's where he gets his name from. But 
right? Rashi, the medieval commentator from around a thousand years ago, said, what was Jacob doing all alone? He just crossed the river with all his family. Why is he alone? So what does Rashi tell us? Because Jacob forgot some small jars on the other side of the river, and he returned to collect them. Now, that's all Rashi says, and that's all anyone says on that verse. And then they move on. But sometimes in Judaism, you have to find those one-liners, those one-verses that have such a deep teaching embedded in it. And he brings this from the Gemara. Rashi brings this from the Talmud, from Hulim, page 91. That Jacob crossed the river with all his families, a huge schlep, brought all the possessions across. And said, oh, my God, I have a few jars I left on the other side. And he went back to return them. Right? Why am I bringing this up? Because it shows that Jacob cared about a few, a few jars. I mean, he just like slept across a river with his whole family. Forget the jars. Right? We would definitely say that in our modern day time, right? Especially because those jars would be, you know, plastic bags or, you know, uh, Tupperwares or whatever. Ah, I can get another 20 of them for like uh, $3.99 at the store. Right? No, but Jacob is teaching us everything has value. Everything has value. There's no, there's no such thing as something too small. Or I'll just buy another one. No. If it's in this world, it has value. And we shouldn't w- waste it. We shouldn't waste anything. All right? So just another uh, kind of uh, support you know, from Jewish sources. A few things I'll just go really quickly through. But if anyone's interested in, in learning these more in depth, feel free to be in touch with me. Some really great um, passages from the Talmud. This from the Talmud in Shabbat, page 67, uh, side B. One who covers an oil lamp, causing the flame to burn inefficiently, or uncovers a kerosene lamp, allowing the fuel to evaporate faster, violates the prohibition of Batashrit. I mean, that right then and there, right, is a source for an incredible Jewish teaching about energy conservation and energy use today, right? In the ancient times, when they had these oil lamps, don't cover it so much that the flame will burn inefficiently, and don't uncover it too much that it'll waste the fuel. All right, this idea, and the, and the Gemara says this, if you do do that, you are going against the mitzvah about Hashchit of not destroying. Also here it says in Shabbat, and this again is a profound teaching that has incredible amount of ramifications in our modern day world. Rav Chizda says, said, if one eats barley, but is able to eat wheat, he has broken the rule about Hashchit of don't destroy. Rav Papa said, if one is able to drink beer, but drinks wine, he has broken the rule about Hashchit. Choose food that is not wasting choose food that is better for the world, for the environment, that has a, a softer impact on the world. Let's say it like that, okay? Maimonides, moving forward, all right, about 800 years ago, right? And says in his, uh, in his classic work of, of Jewish law, the Mishnah Torah, he says, not only one who cuts down a fruit tree is going against Baal but anyone who destroys household goods, tears clothing, demolishes a building, stops up a spring, or ruins food deliberately, violates the pro- prohibition of Baal I mean, that was 800 years ago. Imagine today in our world. The, the Rambam, Maimonides would freak out, I think, if he came to any one of our lives, you know, just for one day. He would see Baal being broken left and right all the time, right? What we're throwing out, what we're wasting, what we're buying that we don't really need, what we're throwing out but we could fix, and so on and so on and so on. The water use that we use today, right? The The insane amount of consumer goods, right, that we surround ourselves with. All right, moving on. All right, Pirkei Avot. All right, I think I have just a couple more teachings, and with that, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up and sum up. 
But it says in Pirkei Avot, this collection of Jewish wisdom teachings, right, in the, in the last, in the sixth and last chapter of Pirkei Avot, it says, such is the way of a life of Torah, right, of Judaism, right? You shall eat bread with salt and rationed water shall you drink. You shall sleep on the ground. Your life will be one of uh, privation and in Torah you shall labor. If you do this, happy shall you be and it shall be good for you. Happy shall you be in this world and it shall be good for you in the world to come. Now, lots of pieces, lots of layers that we can uncover for hours and hours. I'll just say this. I'm really focusing more on the, on, the, on the first part. I think it's really profound that there's this Jewish wisdom teaching that says, live a simple life. Eat bread with salt. Drink water. Even sleep on the ground. Right? Now, I know that's not what we do. And I'm not saying that's what we should do. And it's not what I do. Right? But, but there's still a value. There's still a lesson in there that we can extract and we can take into our lives. Live simply. Live simply, right? Like we know, you know, we, we, there's this quotation, live simply so that others may simply live. I mean, really, that's, that's, that's a Jewish teaching. I know it's a bumper sticker, you know, on, on people's cars, live simply so that others may simply live, right? But it's a Jewish teaching. Live simply. And, 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 and it's so interesting that this teaching ends with talking about happiness. You will be happy if you do. Really happy. Not happy because of stuff you have or a shopping spree you you took or how many things you put into your shopping cart, real, meaningful, everlasting, eternal happiness, right? That's the key. That's the secret to a happy life. And Judaism is giving that to us. And again, it doesn't mean we all have to eat bread with salt and sleep on the floor and just only drink water, but, right, to the best of our ability, bring simplicity into our lives, right? It'll be good for us. It'll be good for the planet, okay? All right, this is the last teaching, actually. Yeah, all right. It's a little bit long, but I do want to read the whole thing because it's so beautiful. This is Rav uh, Shimson Raphael Hirsch from the 19th century, the 1800s in Germany. He was basically the leader uh, and founder, you can say, of the modern Orthodox movement. And he really had this incredible ability to hold the traditional world of Torah and the modern day world that was sprouting up around him and the Jews at the time and, 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 and balance them out and bring them together. And his writing is, is the writing of a poet uh, so, so beautiful. And he says like this about this mitzvah, Baal Tashrit. Do not destroy, he says, is the most comprehensive warning to human beings. I mean, it sounds like that UN, you know, the, I'm sorry, the, the, the group of scientists, you know, giving like a warning to humanity. Um, do not destroy, he says, is the most comprehensive warning to human beings not to misuse the position which God has given them as masters of the world, going to what we talked about at the beginning. And it's matter through capricious, passionate, or merely thoughtless, wasteful destruction of anything on earth. Only if you use the things around you for wise human purposes, sanctified by the word of my teaching, only then are you a mensch, which means a good person, and have the right over them, which I have given you as a human. However, if you destroy, if you ruin, at that moment, you are not a human. Here's this nice rabbi saying, if I destroy something or misuse something, I'm not even a human, right? At least not the kind of human that like our ancient tradition wants us to be. And have no right to the things around you. I lent them to you for wise use only. Never forget that. I lent them to you. Okay? Powerful teaching, powerful teachings, right, that we just saw. And again, this is just the beginning of the beginning of what's out there in the Jewish world. And maybe I just want to, you know, with this picture in front of us, kind of just say in closing, first of all, thank you to Ur Tzedek uh, for inviting me to teach this class and for the amazing work that you're doing, inspiring, educating 
people uh, and, and being out there on the front lines uh, of many, many important social issues and bringing the Jewish voice to those issues and being just, you know, active activists. Really, Kalakavod, thank you for all that you do. Um, and just again, with this image in front of us, you know, know that we are living in unique times. We're living in unique and special times, um, both on the side of good and inspiring and unfortunately on the other side as well. We can be inspired and overwhelmed, you know, multiple times in any given day. I know I experienced that myself. Um, and I, I feel blessed. I feel really, really gifted that I have thousands of years of Jewish teachings in front of me to inspire me, to guide me, to shape my life. And again, I'm not perfect. Every single day I will, I will mess up, I will fall down, I will make a mistake, I'll you know, leave that water on too long, I will buy that thing I shouldn't have bought, I will, whatever it might be, right? But we need to zoom out and we need to see that in the human story, never before have human beings ever dealt with this kind of challenge before. Again, like I said in the beginning, so inundated and surrounded by consumerism, right? It's, it's part of who we are, right? And our job, I believe, is not to run to the woods and not to run to the mountaintops and, and leave behind the world, right? But to be really present and be really strong and, and be the best people we can be guided by these incredible, ancient, inspiring teachings so that we can do our part to lessen the impact, soften the impact, and also at the same time, inspire others to do the same, right? either by speaking about it or just by being and then watching us and witnessing us. Right, that we should be models for, for another way and a better day, as we say, Bezat Hashem. Right, so again, or the Tzedek, thank you, uh, Eddie, Shmuley, thanks so much. Everyone who uh, attended either live or recorded, uh, really a, a pleasure to be here. And um, I'll turn it back over to you, Eddie. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rabbi Akiva. That, that was really great stuff. We're going to go ahead and move into some uh, Q&A. I know, uh, Larry, you had a couple of questions in the chat. Would you go ahead and unmute yourself and maybe you can read those and Rabbi Akiva can answer. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. Uh, this is my first uh, participation with the group and I just found out about you uh, a week or two ago. Uh, so I appreciate uh, the resources you provide. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a non I'm a non Orthodox Jew, uh, and, and but appreciate it and, and appreciate it very much. I have two comments um, for the rabbi. One is uh, I'm not sure. I think you have a sound analysis about what's causing um, pollution, toxics, environmental harm. I don't think the uh, limits to growth, the fact that we have growth, the growth of consumption. Uh, is really um, the driving force. Uh, and if you do focus on that, you have substantial issues of income distribution because whose consumption are you going to reduce? Uh, the, 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 the working class, poor people in the United States, what about people in other countries who, who are nowhere near the levels of consumption they need? But secondly, I think the analysis is very individualistic, atomistic because we have a collective problem, we need a collective solution. So individual choices about consumption should be mindful for sure. But it seems to me that if we're gonna deal with climate change and other things, then it's really about um, uh, collective political uh, solutions. And, you know, in this last, I, I love the spirit. I appreciate you very much. This is, uh, uh, and, um, uh, but, 
you know, that's that. Uh, thank you, Larry, so much for, for bringing that up. If I couldn't take criticism, then I couldn't be a rabbi. So uh, I appreciate that you're bringing that up. Look, that's a long discussion. Uh, obviously, I will just say this as, a, as an answer, and, and you might not agree with my answer, and that's obviously totally fine. I believe it's a multi-pronged um, um, effort and approach. It can't be one thing and only one thing. It can't just be legislation, and it can't just be individual action. It needs to be everything. In 45 minutes, I chose to, to focus on, on individual responsibility. That does not mean, obviously, that legislation has no place in this. And obviously, it doesn't mean that this is a simple solution to a complex problem. This is a very complicated issue, and the answer is going to be very complicated as well. And of course, it's going to deal with issues of, of, of economics and, and, and gender and race and ev literally everything. I mean, that's why I said at the beginning that we can be here for, for hours and hours and hours discussing this, this issue. But I, I will just share one little vignette. Years ago, I was visiting a friend, and like me, uh, he was a Jewish vegan and very committed to the environment, and he was studying environmental studies, uh, actually in Jerusalem, and I went to visit his apartment in Jerusalem, and I was spending a couple of weeks with him, and we're getting ready for Shabbat, and we were cleaning, and he took out like classic bleach, like, you know, and he poured it like into the bucket, diluted it and started cleaning his, uh, his floor with it. And I was really kind of surprised because I know he's such an environmental kind of guy. And I said to him, I'm like, I'm just surprised that you're using this stuff. It's like, it's bad for you. It's bad for the environment, the way it's produced, where it goes when you're done using it, you breathing it in. And, and, and he said straight up and we had a whole long argument about it, which he, you know, which we didn't come to any agreement by the end. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's all the corporations. It's their fault. It's the companies. If they stop doing what they're doing, then everything will be solved. I'm like, but why do you think the corporations are in business? Because we keep buying their products. If we stop buying their, the, the bleach, you know, that classic horrible for the environment bleach, they'll stop making it or they'll start making it less. And they'll think about other ways to make money because that's really what's driving them. Right. So consumer choices have a fantastic impact on, on the decisions, both on the corporate level as well as on the legislative level. Right? And so we, I'm not a politician and I don't want to be a politician, right? I'm not a corporate guy and I don't want to be a corporate guy, but I am an individual, right? And, and I want to be the best individual that I can be. And I won't feel good about myself and I won't feel that I'm living up to what Judaism expects from me if my beliefs, the teachings I'm learning and my actions are not as in line as they possibly can be. Thank you so much. I believe Julia had her hand up and then David can go after it. Yes, it was, it was more of a response to the question and a con maybe a continuation of what you were saying, Rabbi Akiva. I also think that that perhaps like the political, in a democracy, uh, the laws will only change when people demand that, that they change. And I think people in our current society is not demanding so much environmental policy, but the more people are personally sacrificing, the more they're un maybe unwilling to sit by and allow the government to not take measures. So the more people, yeah, personally sacrificing for the environment, the, the more it's important to them to demand from their legislatures that, that the policy. So I think, I think what Rabbi Akiva is teaching um, and creating a society that personally cares and personally sacrifices for the planet will trickle up um, uh, in by, by the choices we make and who we elect. Um, and I wonder what you think about that, Rabbi Akiva, um, or what you think about that, Mr. Mitchell. 
I definitely agree. I definitely agree. You know, it, it's like there's certain things that need to be legislated because the people are not yet there. You know, and that's great when when the legislation you know brings positive change into the world, and oftentimes it's the other way around. You know, I I don't know the percentage. You know, if it's bottom up or 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 top bottom or bottom up, but but it happens both ways, and it needs to happen both ways. And uh, yeah, I, I I agree with everything that you're saying that you know people can inspire political change, and and political change can inspire people, and uh, it's a two way street uh, that ideally can make you know a really great society. Obviously, there's kinks in the road; it doesn't always happen that way, but uh, I think you know using in in that way could create an incredible society. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, we'll take the last comment from David. Thanks, Eddie. Um, thank you, Rabbi Akiva. David, um, shalom. <laughs> shalom. I had a, a question, but the, but but the last comment made me just think of something else that I want to add, which is just that um, a lot of the pollution and and destruction is coming at corporations doing business with other corporations, and that's by far the great amount, greatest amount. So nothing we do as consumers is going to change that. Uh, there has to be wholesale societal shifts, and so when I try to justify some of my my environmental actions like the kind you're talking about, sometimes I say, well, at least, uh, at least if nothing else, I'm doing a ritual that confirms my passionate commitment. And I have to do this, even if I don't know whether it makes a difference. That's, mm -hmm. that's one thing. That's not what I want to ask you about. Most of I the do agree with that <laughs> also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the, most of the texts you brought are, are texts of moral suasion. You know, um, this is how you, how you act if you want to be especially righteous. But the people who are having the biggest impact on these things are not the, they're the corporate heads. They're the, you know, they're not the people who are trying to be the most righteous they could possibly be. And I'm not talking about everyone and anyone. I'm talking all about specifically also Jews who do this. They don't have halachas that tell them you're not allowed to do these things. They only have um, um, exhortations from Sefer Chinuch, which isn't going to cut it. The bottom line is if you can make profit from something halachically, you're allowed to destroy it by in order to make profit. And what can happen in the Orthodox world to shift the halacha, so that's no longer the case. Definitely um, a big topic, and that's been something uh, I think that has, I, I, I think it would use the word plagued us for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Loopholes and, 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 and multiplicity of, of interpretations of values, teachings, and laws. I, I, I agree with what you're saying 100%. And it really is a problem, uh, or at least a challenge. Um, I definitely don't have the solution. Um, I, you know, we know, I mean, years ago, just like another little quick vignette, years ago when I was first, you know, when I first became religious, and again, like I said, I was inspired by the environmental teachings in Judaism that I found to even become religious. So I put together like a, like a book, that 30 pages, like a, what we used to call like zines, if anyone remembers that, probably not. Um, you know, about Judaism and the environment. And I actually tried to, I was living in Muncie, New York at the time, which is very, very Orthodox um, town. And I talked to a, a well-known rabbi there and I was, I was asking him for his, you know, his kama, as you call it, like his kind of stamp of approval so I can pass it out in the community. And he, and he read it. It was a really sweet rabbi. And he said, Akiva, you know, I agree with everything you wrote in here, but I can't give my stamp of approval because it, 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 it's, it's challenging people too much to change their lives. I was like, isn't that what Judaism was all about? So you're right, Reb David, I think you're totally right. There's this ideal level and there's this like practical on the ground, like, okay, we'll do the best that we can, but, um, and, and how to bring that 
kind of second level up to the higher level. I, I think that's really our challenge and it's also our work. The one thing I would disagree with you on is that I don't think all of the sources I brought are talking only about righteous people or people who want to be righteous. Many of them are straight out of Torah and, and Talmud. These are expectations. These aren't, if you want to be right now, the Perky Avot thing, living, you know, sleeping on the ground, eating bread with salt, that's, yeah, that's another, that's another level. The, the, the I, Sefer Achinuch, hold, on, hold on one second, Rev. David. Yeah, the Sefer yeah. Achinuch is definitely gets, you know, really deeply spiritual, like spiritually poetic with, with how it gives over the mitzvah. I definitely get that. But the rest of it is very, very straight up law. I mean, that's what's beautiful about Judaism is so many of these things that we can change our lives and change the world and save this world are actually rooted in law. And yes, though we do have different interpretations of laws, I get in loopholes and da -da -da -da, all that thing. Like you said, with Batashi, you can cut down a tree if it's worth is more than the, you know, um, than keeping it up. Um, still, so much of this is grounded in law, but I think a lot of the laws are just being ignored for convenience reasons. And I think it, that's, it, that's also the question. That's, that's such a, an extra important question. Is it just that people are ignoring it? Like, when was the last time someone consulted Shabbat 67B when deciding what car they should buy and whether it burns fuel efficiently? And is there, even though it's in the halakha or it's in the Talmud, does anyone think that's a halakha requirement to judge your car and purchase your car on that basis? Right. It's a beautiful question. It's a beautiful question. I love how you phrase that. I agree with you. And it's definitely a challenge. Yeah. Thank, thanks for your comment. Thank you. Really. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay, friends. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to Rabbi Akiva for such a great, amazing class. Uh, everybody, thank you for joining us today. You will be able to find this recording on our website at info at If you are interested in getting to know more of us and our work, you can go ahead and visit us there. Go ahead and check our, our YouTube and our podcast. Everybody have an amazing day. Thank you so much for joining.